This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. This is Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for picking this little podcast. I know that when you log on to your podcast app, you have over 2.4 million choices that you could make at any moment. And yet, here we are again. Or maybe it's your first time listening to this podcast. So in that case, welcome to the show and I hope you'll come back. I've been doing this show for seven and a half years and over 700 episodes where I try to talk to people in business who are making waves, shaking things up and helping the entrepreneurial world grow. And today we have a guest who I have admired for a long time. We've known each other, we're friends, but he's somebody who you watch in the community where I live in Austin, Texas. He is without a question, one of the most successful, most admired, and most helpful giving entrepreneurs I have ever, ever seen. Brett Hurt, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thanks a lot, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. So for those of you who don't know Brett, he is one of those rare people who was actually born and raised in Austin, Texas. Now, I've lived here 31 years, and 31 years ago, the general community had about 700,000 people. It's now about 2.3 million people in the last 30 years, and we've built one road. So very few people have actually been born, raised, and had their careers here, but he's one of those people. He has founded six successful companies. One of them is Bizarre Voice. Now, Bizarre Voice not only had a successful IPO and has done a lot of other great things in the community and around the world, but out of that company has spun 70 other companies from the people who worked there who got that entrepreneurial spirit and went and did their own thing. Brett and his wife, Deborah, have also invested in over 125 companies, 70 plus which are right here in the Central Texas area, and he really cares about the entrepreneurial community. And that's why he is giving all the proceeds of his new book, which is called The Entrepreneur Essentials, Lessons for Startup and Leadership Excellence. He's giving that to the Kendra Scott's Women's Entrepreneur Leadership Institute at the University of Texas at Austin. All the proceeds. Plus, when he first wrote the book, he posted it online so everybody could just read it. That's a guy with a giver's heart. So, Brett, how did entrepreneurship even come into your window? How did you become an entrepreneur? Well, thanks for the very kind intro, first of all. And, and I'm proud to call you a friend and have known you all of these years. Um, you know, my parents were entrepreneurs and my mom graduated at the top of her class at UT Austin. That's where everybody in my family went. And she graduated in three years with two majors and got a dream job um, making a lot of money. And unfortunately I had to move to Houston, you know, with my dad and about a year into that, she was miserable. Uh, they wanted to start having kids and they moved back to Austin 
uh, to start their first company. And the reason they did it is they were kind of your classic lifestyle entrepreneurs. They wanted to have complete control over their schedule. Um, they would sometimes close the stores. Um, they, they, they started furniture stores in Austin. They would sometimes close them at like three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and, you know, it would have made Google Maps very mad if Google Maps existed back then because it would have said like, they're open till six, but if they wanted to close at three, they just closed at three and the sign was up, you know, out fishing. Um, so that was, that was the way my parents were wired. And I grew up, you know, really seeing the good and bad of that. There were lots of times where they almost went out of business. Um, there were a lot of tough things that they went through with the business. Um, a lot of changes to downtown. Their business was always downtown. Um, and, you know, it, it fortunately worked out, um, but I really got to just see that and, and, it, and it just be normal. And I grew up working in their stores and interacting with customers and sweeping the floors and helping move furniture and helping deliver furniture. And, and uh, you know, it really helped me just kind of normalize on you know, entrepreneurship. So there are a lot of things I took for granted later on. I, I, I will tell you, you know, in full transparency, of course, that I didn't love it. Um, there, it was like sweating in the Texas heat, you know, moving furniture and everything else. And my dad always joked with me. It's part of the reason that I went into computers so that I could work in air conditioned buildings with free snacks. <laughs> Here we are. So I, I haven't seen the actual new copy. Your book just released a couple of weeks ago, but I did read parts of the book on the online version. So I know it's been changed and updated, but the original version starts off with what has been my favorite quote. When you look at the world of quotes uh, in the world, I have had it on my desk uh, for years. And that is the quote, the man in the arena with uh, from Teddy Roosevelt, the, uh, President mm -hmm. Theodore Roosevelt. That basically, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but it basically says, you know, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and be a critic, but the person who is in there fighting the good fight, that's who knows what it is. Why did you start the book with that? Well, it, it, it is, it really resonates with me. I mean, it's funny because I've been using that quote for longer than Brene Brown has been using it. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, it was on my desk when I was 25 years old. Yeah. The funny story about that, by the way, my wife grew up with Brene Brown and they, her and her twin sister, my wife's twin sister were um, lifeguards with her for three years. And she was, she's a little bit older than them. So she was their boss and we reconnected with her recently. And she was like, Deborah, you were like the best lifeguard. That was the first thing she said. Um, but uh, you know, that, that quote to me just really rung true as a young entrepreneur and I think it's because it is so hard. It does take a lot of sweat and a lot of blood. You really put your ego out there. You really can fail. Um, and it's just, uh, it can be, you know, a very tough experience. And, and, and there's some, you know, there's, there's a real thing called founder depression where, you know, there, there's people that have imposter syndrome. I faced that before earlier in my career. Um, they get very depressed, you know, when the startup isn't, isn't going well, frankly, it's why a lot of people that were entrepreneurs go into VC afterwards, because it's just too hot in the kitchen directly. They just don't have the energy for it anymore. Um, and I think that quote encapsulates it well. And, you know, there's that, uh, famous song, dirty laundry. And, you know, when things are going well, you're, 
you're unduly praised. Um, and when things are going poorly, you know, you're, you're really punished um, in the media and everything else. And, and that's just part of the game. It's, 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 it's just goes with the territory. And I think that quote really captures it very well. I was told later on in life that what Teddy Roosevelt was really getting out there was the call for civil service. And we certainly know that elected officials, et cetera, um, are on the hot seat all the time and, you know, punished, you know, quite a bit, um, you know, sometimes very well-deserved um, for that punishment and other times not. And so, yeah, it just, it just really resonates with me in terms of what entrepreneurship is all about. And, oh my gosh, Tom, as you know, it feels absolutely glorious when it works. Um, it's the best feeling in the world because you've created something out of nothing alongside an amazing team of good people, you know, people that really care. Um, and, you know, you've, you've put something new in the world, which will always be there. Um, you know, they're, they're entire new industries we pioneered with core metrics, with uh, bizarre voice, and now with data.world. And there's a lot of things data.world is doing now that'll be obvious in hindsight. Um, and I just love that feeling, that, that feeling of winning as a team, but it comes with a lot of grit. It took us over three years to make a dollar of revenue at data.world because the surface area of what we're building is so big. We already have over 60 patents and, um, this is the most complex technical build of my career. And like the other businesses I've started, there were so many people close to me that thought it was going to fail, just like, you know, people thought the others were going to fail. And, and that's just part of the normal state of things when you start something new in the world that is unproven. So over the past 20 years that I've been sort of in, in the in and around the technology community in Austin and, and the business world in general, there's been a lot of changes. Entrepreneurship has become really hot. Now, you grew up with parents who were like, let's start our own things. Let's close at three so we can be home with our kids and let's create our own life and, and build something that we can do. But not everybody grew up with that. My dad worked for an insurance company for 40 years and retired with a gold watch. I mean, that's what, that's what I grew up seeing. And my father was a little bit risk averse to this type of thing. So as a kid, I wanted to be an actor and my parents were really supportive coming to all my school plays and things like that. But when it came time for, I want to be an actor, they were very much along the lines of, Oh, that's awfully risky. Maybe you should go to college and get a college degree and, you know, and get a job. And then maybe you could do community theater or whatever. And I'm not blaming them, but they weren't the parents who said, go for it. You know, light your pants on fire. You know, the worst part of this story, Brett, is I grew up in Los Angeles County. I grew up in the suburbs of LA, literally 15 miles from Hollywood. And my parents just weren't like, you know, they didn't know anybody on that side of town. They didn't know anybody in the industry. And it, it sort of just seemed scary. So a lot of people grow up with with dreams, but they've never seen entrepreneurship. Uh, they've never seen people take these kinds of risks. So they don't know how to do it. And they sort of have that fear. Now, in the past 20 years, entrepreneurship has been shoved into the forefront of everything. What do you think is the biggest change in business of why entrepreneurship is so hot and so easily understood now by the younger generations and people are more apt to do that or, or are they more apt to do that? Well, they're definitely more apt to do that. In in 2020, the kind of the apex of the pandemic, there were 4.4 million new businesses started in the U S which is more than at any other point in U S history. Um, so there's no doubt we're on a trend of more entrepreneurship. 
And I think that's a really great thing because entrepreneurship um, definitely leads to a massive amount of job creation. Um, The big companies tend to, at a certain level of scale, get efficient to the point where they become not net job creators, but neutral to negative (laughs) for that trend. Um, So it's the things that are started that are growing very, very quickly, which attract a lot of exciting people to them because they want to see something new be born in the world and grow in the world and hopefully become a really important part of the world. Um, so that's, uh, that's, you know, that's why in terms of, in terms of, you know, why are we on this trend? The cost to start businesses has dramatically decreased. Um, you know, it, in, in my parents' generation, they decided between one of three types of businesses to start. Number one thing they considered was a hotel. They decided it was too much work. The second you can't, thing they You can't just close at three o'clock if people are in room 420. That's right. The second thing they considered was a restaurant. They decided that was too much work. And the third thing they considered was retail when they could close whenever they wanted to. And that's what they did. Um, and you know, all three probably would have made a similar amount of money, but they had very different outcomes with how much time they could spend on other things like raising myself and my sister today, you can go, um, to a number of websites, easily register a domain name, um, go on any number of platforms, whether it's Shopify, if you're starting an e-commerce business or, or big commerce in town, um, or, you know, Squarespace, you know, which hosts my blog, lucky7.io, or any number of places and just set up, you know, in almost no time and hang out a shingle, you know, say, I'm a consultant now and I'm going to help you with yada, 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 um, because I have experience with that. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. And then there's all types of platforms, you know, just yesterday, my son Levi wanted to, um, hire someone to build, um, some 3d objects in Minecraft. Cause he's a big time programmer. He's been programming ever since he was really young. I started programming when I was seven, um, as well. And, I taught him about Upwork and he found the right person. He paid them $20 and they created five objects and they said they would do it within seven days, but they actually did it within four hours mm-hmm. and he's super happy with them. And, and that's amazing. Right. I think that, I think the person was in Italy. They had a very Italian name and it was clear that there was some broken English. So it's clear they probably were not born here in America. That's amazing. I mean, how cool is that? That, we have that type of ability now because of the global village, you know, the, the fact we're all networked. And I love Um, the fact that at Levi's age, he can outsource just so easily. He can outsource a little project he needs to get done for Minecraft. That's awesome. We had to cheat a little bit and use my account because I don't think he, I don't know. I don't know if he can legally hire someone at age 12 or not. (laughs) Um, But uh, you know, that was fine. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a really beautiful time in the world to be an entrepreneur. I gave, um, the commencement at, um, at one of the UT Austin schools 
And I posted that on my blog and I talked about the golden age of technology and how, and this was about six years ago, by the way, about how this is the best time to be alive, to start a business, especially if you have a technical inclination. Um, It's the best time in human history to start something and, you know, create something beautiful in the world. So I love that. I, I, and I love, you know, investing in entrepreneurs and, hopefully their dreams come true and their team's dreams come true. So it's a, it's kind of an amazing time. So what do, what do you say to somebody who, who has the bug, they want to do it, but maybe they have a little bit of fear. They've never done it. They didn't grow up with the examples that you did. They haven't been around a community like you and I live in where, where things like this are happening all the time. What do you say to somebody who has a little bit of fear of starting? Yeah. I don't know if that was a setup or not for my book. And I don't know if we'll use this video, but there there's the book, you know, again, all the proceeds go to female entrepreneurs at UT Austin, thanks to Kendra Scott's leadership there. Um, but chapter two of my book is called the paralyzing fear of getting started. And my book is set up in three different sections. So there's the founding section where there's lessons to consider if you're thinking about founding a company There's the building section where, uh uh-oh, you're in it now and you have to make it successful alongside your team. And there's lessons about how to make it successful and successfully build. And then there's the helping section where, wow, you've become successful now. It worked. Here's how you give back. And there's lessons on how to do that. Um, And that chapter, chapter two on the paralyzing fear of getting started I talk about the fact that even though data.world is my sixth business in a row um, and I started my first business when I was 24 and I just turned 50, that it was still really scary to me. In some ways it can be a little bit scarier when you get older because of the fact that um, you have so much reputation to lose. Like you've already become successful. And now what if you start something and it fails and you fall flat on your face. But all of those are natural states of the brain. Um, we tend to be very fearful in general because of the fact that through evolution, we had to be feel fearful. But you need to put it all in perspective that, um, again, you know, we're mostly working in air-conditioned spaces with snacks. <laughs> um, so it's, it, you know, we're not going to get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger or anything else. So getting over that mental difficulty is a huge part of entrepreneurship. And that chapter walks people through how to do that and how I do it myself. Well, so it's really interesting because that actually, I I didn't read that chapter, but I did sort of set you up because I saw the title of it. Uh, But the thing that really got me is that chapter is probably good for people, even if you're not the entrepreneur, if you're making uh, sure. A midlife career change. The the same thing is true. I'm I'm making some changes at 56 years old to the direction of what I'm doing, and uh, somewhat of a major a major shift. And while it looked, you know, in some ways like, oh, that's the perfect thing, it really scared the bejesus out of me to agree to be able to make some shifts. Uh, and I probably should have read your chapter. So, what are a couple of quick tips for people who are facing fear in business, whether they're the entrepreneur or whether it's a a, a sea change in their in their job? What are a couple of things? people can do to take that deep breath and push forward? Well, I think, I think number one is to remember that everybody feels that way at at one point or another. So just kind of normalize that. That's why I wanted to normalize with my own personal example with data.world that 
this is normal. So don't punish yourself for feeling normal. Um, the way that you get through it is you work through it. You call a customer or a potential customer. You talk with someone who was successful in that industry before. You create your own personal board of directors, as was talked about in the book, Good to Great. Um, you, you, know, you, you, you make that additional you know, call to someone that's very close to you um, that has been successful as an entrepreneur, they could be an advisory board member or an early investor in you. And you confide in them how you feel and you get them to build you back up. You hopefully if you're, uh, you know, married or you've got a, you know, very close relationship like that, or maybe it's even your brother or sister, you give them a call and talk with them. So you, you work through it. You don't, don't bottle it up and just, you know, kind of muscle it to say, well, I'm going to just, you know, power through this on my own and not share with anybody because I don't want to appear to be vulnerable. Um, vulnerability is a superpower as a leader. Um, and, you know, being able to uh, express like where your fears are, other people can build you up. And there was a time at data.world where I was really fearful where my co-founders weren't and my co-founders built me back up. And there have been times where they were really fearful where I built them back up. And, you know, I, 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 I will say that as I've gotten older as an entrepreneur, I have gotten to be much more vulnerable and much more inclusive um, and much more sharing. Um, that's part of the reason why I have, three co-founders. There's four of us that started data.world and you give up a lot of equity when you do that, but man, you're, you're all in the same boat um, rowing together and, and, you know, you can really build each other up and complement each other. I mean, we've all got very different skill sets, which is really nice. So that's actually really good. And, and actually I took a couple of notes as you were giving some of that advice because I use this podcast as my own personal university to learn things. So as I go into this new venture, uh, I, I just face the fears and I'm doing some of those things that you said about getting the right people to say, yeah, I'm there to support you with this. So that's, I think the that's biggest great. mistake is that um, a lot of people are control freaks and don't, um, don't, don't, don't give as much equity as they should and give as much responsibility as they should. Don't delegate like they should. Um, and, you know, if it, the more you realize that you're much stronger as a team than you are alone in anything you do in life, whether it's raising kids or, you know, starting a new business, um, the happier you're going to be. Nice. All right. So we've got a few minutes left. I do want to talk about data.world and I've got a couple of questions about some unique things that, that you do with that and other things in your life. So really quick, sure. just give the audience the, the, the one minute version of what is data.world and, and how is it changing the world? Yeah, sure. So we're a proud B corporation and there's two parts of our business. So part one is we are now the world's largest open data community where people collaborate for free on data sets about cancer, climate change, poverty, nutrition, COVID-19, you name it. Um, and that part of our platform is completely for free and will always be for free. Um, it's amazing though, because there's 1.7 million people in that community, over 90% of the fortune 500 are in it. And that leads to the paid part of our platform, 
um, or otherwise we wouldn't have a business at all, which is we are the data catalog for a lot of the world's largest companies. Um, so for example, we work with uh, one of the world's largest consultancies and they have over 22,000 people on our platform that are able to, with Google-like search capabilities, search for all of the data inside of their company and be able to immediately collaborate on that data as a team, data about all types of things that they need to know about to serve their customers well when they're doing an analysis for them, um, about which markets to enter, which markets to exit, how to restructure things. Um, the usage went way up and to the right during the pandemic. Um, and as a data catalog, just to explain that for a second, it's this layer in the data space that sits on top of all the data infrastructure, whether it's Snowflake or, or Databricks or Oracle and all of the data analytics platforms, whether it's Tableau or Microsoft Power BI. So we have over 90 integrations and create this unified interface where you can use all of those platforms because in these large companies, data tends to be very siloed. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned at the start of that, that you're a B corporation. Now, when I think of a B corporation, I think of like Patagonia. I didn't know tech companies were B corporations. Explain to the, everybody what that is. Cause a lot of people may not know. And why did you decide to go that direction? Yeah. So it's something I'm very passionate about. A B corporation is a for benefit corporation. I look at it as capitalism 2.0 um, and actually, if you go back in time, I would encourage people to watch the documentary named The Corporation. You can now find it for free online, but it's in numerous streaming apps. But I think you can just watch it on YouTube now. And it really takes you through the history of the corporate form and the fact that a lot of corporations at the beginning of the U.S. were public works types of projects. And, you know, last I checked, we have a lot of problems in the world and a lot of problems <laughs> in the U.S. that need to be solved. And a B corporation allows you to protect the mission of the company to be able to do something like give such a big part of our platform away for free and make that a protected part of our mission so that everybody investing in data.world knows that that's the deal. There's no trading that deal. There's no negotiating that away. We've all invested, you know, in our, in our case, both money and time in their case, um, primarily money, although we have a lot of investors that spend a lot of time with us, um, to say, hey, we really care about what we're putting out there in the world, and and this this really matters to us. And I, I really think the next generation of, um, you know, both entrepreneurs as well as people that want to work at startup companies, they care a lot about whether or not you have a purposeful mission. Um, everybody is looking for that to some extent in their lives. Hopefully they're looking for that in their career too. I find it very sad that a lot of people go to the office and it's almost like that show severance on Apple plus they, they don't even want to remember what they did there because their life really starts the moment they, you know, metaphorically hit the punch card and, and get home. Um, now a lot of us in the knowledge economy, you know, tend to work a lot from home. So it's a little bit easier to punch that card and be home immediately. Um, but you know, that, that I find that really sad and a B Corp is an answer to purpose and the fact that 
we need to be very intentional about the way that we spend our time and hopefully put something out in the world that, that really matters. So you've been around pre-pandemic. You started the company, I think, about four or five years ago. Do you think that more companies are, are starting that way? They're becoming these B Corps? Are you seeing a trend? And what do you think we're going to say 10 years from now if somebody finds this, you know, in an archived podcast and they'll be like, they're explaining what a B Corp is? Duh, everybody is. Yeah, that's that's where I think it's going to trend. Um, I've, I've been pretty good in my career about predicting trends. Um like a lot of tech entrepreneurs, I grew up reading sci-fi and thinking about the future a lot. And um, I, I really think that 10 years from now, people are going to ask, why are you not a B corporation versus why are you? And what does that even mean? Um, we're in that early phase of it in terms of the trend line. Yes. There are lots and lots of B corps being created all the time. The B corp data sets are actually on data.world. That's where they share them. Um, and by they, I mean B-Lab, which is the leading certifier of B-Corps. They actually created the B-Corp structure in the first place. Um, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it's going to be um, a trend that I think really continues to explode in popularity. And in tech, one of the things that happened during the pandemic was Viva Systems, which is a publicly traded company, that at that time had over a 40 billion market cap. Um, a lot of tech has had a little bit of a haircut recently, um, you know, whether it's Apple, Microsoft or Salesforce or any company. Um, but, uh, but at that time they had a 40 billion market cap and they converted from a C corp into a B corp. 99% of shareholders voted to do it. And the stock traded up, you know, for a long period of time until tech overall has taken a dip. <laughs> Um, Lemonade is an Israeli company in the insurance space. Um, very, very tech forward, really killer interface. They've been at B Corp since the beginning, had a very successful IPO. Again, stock traded really well um, until recently where tech took yeah. a little bit of a dip, but yeah. it'll be back. It always comes. It always comes back. So my last question, my last question, I want to shift gears because I follow you on social media. You and I are friends. We have a lot of mutual friends. You have gotten yourself up to doing a 22-minute plank, you know, where you sit there on your elbows, feet straight out. Uh, you're just a little bit younger than I am. We're basically the same age. I can do a 22-second plank. So why has this been such a, a discipline for you? And how do you think this matters to the business side of the world? Well, I, I, I think that exercise is very important when it comes to business because, if you can take care of yourself, then you can take care of your business. Um, and taking care of yourself requires discipline. And I had a really horrific injury the day before TED, the TED conference in Vancouver, um, you know, four and a half years ago, almost five years ago now, where I was doing a bench press, you know, free weight style and felt an explosion in my chest um, and realized that my muscle had completely ripped off the bone, right? Ouch. Um, yeah. Ouch. I mean, just like, just, you know, everything purple and swollen and just, you know, horrible, 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 like literally felt completely broken. And I've been exercising ever since I was 14. Um, so that sucked. Um, but I remained very positive to say, Hey, you know, I'm going to build back better. 
not to channel, you know, a Biden <laughs> slogan, but, but I really felt like I'm going to build back better. I'm going to figure out um, exactly, you know, I'm going to deconstruct my workouts. And one of the things I realized is that as you get older, um, your core gets weaker and that leads to all types of back issues. And you hear old men and women talking about throwing out their back, et cetera. And so I just thought, you know, I'm going to see what happens if I just try to build my plank up, you know, post physical therapy and, and post recovery. Um, and I start out at two and a half minutes. Um, and I used to be able to do three and a half, you know, at my, at my peak. And I thought, you know, I, I read a lot like you do. And, and one of the things that, um, that, uh, that I, I was thinking about is just uh, with a lot of things in life, it's very tiny increments that make you better as opposed to the American way is like, I want it all right now. You know, if you want to get big, you take steroids and everything else. And, um, and so I, you know, didn't do anything like that, but I, I just, uh, I just added 10 to 15 seconds a week so that my body could very slowly adjust. And there were some weeks where, I didn't add any time because I felt like I was at the right time. Um, and I built up to over 20 minutes on my elbows, as you said, elbow plank. And then um, that started to just create too much friction because you're fighting gravity. And I started to get big calluses on my elbows. Um, so I switched to straight arm planks, which are a lot harder. Um, and I reset to seven and a half minutes um, when I made that switch it was kind of, sad because I was doing over 20 minutes on elbows and now it's back to seven and a half. But then I built up to um, now 22 minutes and I do it three days on one day off, three days on one day off. And I do it after a lot of stretching. I wrote about this entire workout of people want it on uh, lucky seven.io, my blog, and you could do it too. Um, and you'll feel totally different. You'll feel different skiing. You'll feel different. Um, just even getting out of your bed, if your core is that strong and, and I'm trying to build, you know, myself for the long term, And a lot of people that are kind of like, why would you want to spend that kind of time doing something? And my answer is that, um, you only live once and you do want to feel great while you're alive. Oh, and, and the other thing is, you know, your analogy back to, you know, discipline and, and, and business and keeping yourself healthy. You know, I never was an athlete. I never really worked out. And at 50, I started running and I ran my first half marathon when I was 50. Awesome. I've now, six years later, I've run three half marathons and uh, I'm not a great runner. I'm not fast. I, I always say I'm, I'm old, slow and clunky, but I can go out and, you know, run five miles right now without Amazing. stopping. So it, it might take me yeah. 11 minutes a mile sometimes, but and think uh, about that. you started that in your fifties, yeah. um, and, you know, John Mackey, who wrote the forward to my book and is the founder of Whole Foods, he talked about the 50s being just an absolutely amazing decade of his life. Like he yep. was like, oh, you're going to absolutely love your 50s. I absolutely love my 50s. Um, so, you know, this kind of like image of we get old and decrepit um, just because <laughs> we're older and you're supposed to have a beer belly and everything else. You need to fight that. And if you fight that, you'll feel really good about yourself. It'll make you a better leader and it'll teach you mental toughness, which 
I agree. To be a good leader, you have to be mentally tough. It is very hard to be an entrepreneur. The learning, I'd never run a mile in my life before I was 50 and the learning to be able to do it and pushing through without getting hurt and the discipline that it took actually made me a better business person and able to take on challenges. And my theme when I turned 50 became try new things. And for the last six years, I've lived by that theme, uh, the running just being one of the things. So maybe, uh, I don't know if I'm going to shoot for 22, but maybe if I could get to a 10 minute plank, I'd be impressed because- you could, you I don't could think I could do, do a minute. I will tell you, a lot of friends have have done it um, and they've got into 10 minutes and then they stop. And the reason why is because they they got to 10 minutes in like a four month period. I got to 10 minutes in like a year and a half yeah. or two year long period. Um, and It'd so take they, me just, a while. <laughs> they did the American thing where they tried to do it too fast and 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 that's too hard on your body. Your well, body the, has the, to- The other thing is- the other thing is Americans like to set a goal, reach a goal and move on. And I've kept running, even though I reached that goal of that yeah, first half. Likewise. You got, you got to keep pushing through. Well, you know what? This has been absolutely fantastic. We probably could have done a two hour podcast uh, instead of just a 30 minute one. Any final quick word for the audience? I mean, I, I really hope that everybody listening to this um, follows their dreams and becomes a successful entrepreneur. The world needs you to invent the future. And I follow lots of entrepreneurs and get inspired by them regularly, whether it's, um, you know, Elon Musk, or I would call Warren Buffett an entrepreneur as well. Um, and there's just so much you can learn from them. And I, I am really in this lucky position where I both get to be an entrepreneur and then on the side, my wife and I get to be investors and entrepreneurs and it's people like Julia Cheek and, Ross Bordorf in Austin and Andrew I and, you know, so many others, uh, Brian Kruver that just absolutely inspire us. And, and, and that helps feed me as well to do a better job at data.world. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being a guest here on making waves at sea level. And, uh, I'm sure our paths will cross more often coming up soon, uh, as I re-enter the local business world a little bit. So thank you very much for being a guest here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every week. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the podcast? So tune in. We do the show twice a week. Check us out twice every single week so that you can hear from more people who are making waves and shaking things up like Brett Hurt. We'll see you back here in a couple of days. In the meantime, flex your entrepreneurial muscles. Make sure your career ladder is in the correct place. Don't climb that ladder if it's in the wrong spot and have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.